I think my uh, favourite thing about Asteroid City um, is that it wasn't about sci-fi at all, really. I'd say it was a bit, but yeah. I mean, I thought it was going to be like a, a homage to NASA a little bit, but... Um, Did you not think it sort of was? Like a, a homage to space exploration in America in the 50s? The, the yeah, age okay, of the new yeah. frontier. And, yeah. and I guess Hollywood's like obsession with that at the time as well. Yeah, no, it, at least almost, it wasn't like Independence Day, <laughs> kind of level. No, I know what but you mean. It, but, uh, you and, and that was one of my this. fears, and, and maybe it shouldn't have been, because um, as as we just deciphered off air, Wes Anderson ten, uh, tends to deliver the same thing, just in a different setting with his movies. But this is the same thing in a different setting. Yeah, no, that's what I'm saying. He, he, so I shouldn't have been worried that it was going to be like, you know... Oh, right, okay. You know, like a, a complete... A like, complete change. Yeah, switch um, into the sci-fi genre. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm thankful for that. Um, Asteroid City. A lot, I've, I've, uh, I've I read a few reviews um, and it seems to be... The, the decision from critics seems to be quite similar to how I felt coming out in the movie. And that was... Um, I thought it was a beautiful film, um, but I was also quite frustrated with the film at the same time. Um, right. what, what's your initial takeaway? I'd agree, yeah. I mean, I think that's sort of Wes Anderson as a whole, isn't it? Like, he does, he's the director of the sort of whimsical and nostalgic visual experience. And obviously, as someone that's all about story, at the, you know, he's, he's maybe not the director for me. I love Wes Anderson movies. I do love them, but like, it's not I don't know I know what you mean about frustrated you come out of it sometimes feeling like you haven't understood it or yeah. you've, you've missed or you're like, you need a week to digest it sometimes. I, I'm, I'm not sure anyone can ever come out of a film like Asteroid City and and try and convince everyone they saw the movie with that they understood everything that was going on I feel like <laughs> that's exactly what the majority of film students <laughs> will do you know what I mean like it's whereas Anderson's almost like the film student's dream isn't it like <laughs> he's the guy that everyone goes to film school to be like <laughs> yeah and the first thing i noticed after the black and white um scene with brian cranston it cuts to asteroid city and it's bright it's colorful and this is the kind of tone you see in all of his movies the fact that no matter what story's being told you're supposed to look on it in a happy and it makes you feel good yeah kind of way it's you're going back into Wes Anderson's world straight away aren't you you know like it's the sort of doll's house drama the pastel colours all the time like pastel colour pastel colour palette in every scene um, all the characters kind of moving like they're <laughs> almost like they're dolls and Wes Anderson's just moving them around um, the, the use of frame all the time yeah. like there's always a frame in the shot that's not the edge of the camera you know what I'm saying so like that's very common in his um, in, in all of his movies um, yeah, it's, it's straight back to the world of Wes Anderson, but this time in the desert in the 50s at space camp. Um, I don't know if you agree with this, though. I, ultimately, I didn't see this as a film, really. I, I saw it as more of a showcase of lots of different skills that he wanted to like just put into a film, like into a screening. Um, I'm not sure how solid the story was. I don't think he tries to do that. Um, and it's almost like a show-off kind of thing. Like, look what I can do. I, I read this um, piece on 
Scarlett Johansson and what she was talking about. She was like, I played an actor who was playing an actor playing a role. (laughs) And like, there's so many layers to Mm. everything going on that it almost, it was confusing me anyway. Yeah. Yeah, his movies are like puzzles, aren't they? There's like a lot of interlocking perspectives and narratives and and framing in a in a structural sense as well, not not visual framing, but framing in terms of like, for example, in Asteroid City, you have Brian Cranston in the black and white world narrating the tale of a show called Asteroid City being showcased, and then you also have the world of Asteroid City itself, which is presumably a fictional within the fictional world that Wes Anderson's creating. So there's this kind of it's almost like this kaleidoscopic effect of loads of different layers, as you or as you say, like loads of different narratives and perspectives all happening at the same time um it's it kind of speaks to the whole like endearing world of wes anderson like every everything is kind of like uh, a doll or like a little bit of like a dreamland effect um and yeah that's endearing and it's entertaining but sometimes it kind of lapses into the pretentious a little bit too much yeah i think i think at this point wes anderson's leaning into that yeah um but yeah i mean i think my question with Wes Anderson generally, but specifically with Asteroid City, is is there anything really beneath the aesthetic? Is anything explored in that much depth? So I guess that's kind of what you're saying, like. Yeah, um, <clears throat> the uh, uh, you know other little com- concepts I saw are that he had a star-stacked cast, so it's telling that it was a film called Asteroid City because. It's about a group of people that go stargazing. And <laughs> that's what we are doing as we're kind of watching the film. Um, layers and layers of in-depth character development is probably, you know, you could relate that to, a, you know, the layers of a star in some way. <laughs> but, like, I just thought, yeah, it's all I the game and all the puzzle. much character development, though. You no, mean the layers but of... But, like, the layers yeah, of each yeah, character yeah, 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 yeah. that yeah, yeah. it's... Play, an actor playing an actor playing a, an actor playing a part or whatever, like, <laughs> that kind of like, um, it can just go on and on and I think there's so many interpretations you can take from almost you could get one scene of a Wes Anderson movie and ten people interpret it a completely different way yeah 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 yeah, yeah. I think I mean people always talk about you like if you pause a Wes Anderson movie you've got painting and yeah. I mean, I've just said that I don't I'm not quoting anyone but like I'm, I'm pretty sure I've heard people speak to that sentiment um, and that's really cool. I love that, and I, I guess that's kind of like what you're what you're talking about when you say um, that it's not really a film; it's more of a showcase of ability. Um, and I, I, yeah, I guess in that sense, I agree. Like, and that's again it comes back to the question: Is there anything beneath the aesthetic, or is this just a very pretty, whimsical visual experience? Mm. And is that okay? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> One thing that I think is not okay. I have a big, big issue with this, and and this is the one, ever since I saw this scene, it's all I thought about for the rest of the film, and that maybe just says more about me than anything else. Are we far enough past blackface for a completely black alien with just white eyes? Because I... I was not expecting this line of conversation. I, I, <laughs> I haven't seen anyone mention it 
But I'm sitting there going, really? Like, is this really how, like, the alien coming down from the 50s in outer space is completely black. <laughs> Did it bother <laughs> you? It didn't bother me, but I was like, <clears throat> you know, I, I, you, there's, there's some uh, toys from the 80s that are banned. Um, you know, loads of people have been cancelled for blackfacing and stuff like that. And that I know that's not what this was. This wasn't an actor blacking up or anything like that. But it, I found it really strange and bizarre that, like, obviously it was never going to get referred to referred to in the movie or anything like that. And and there was there was no play. I think this was what the position, or this was part of the film. He wasn't trying to do anything here. But I was like, just make it silver, maybe. I don't know if we're that. I don't know if we're past things being really black yet. <laughs> <laughs> And this is important to me. Like, this was a thing where I was like, for about the last 40 minutes of the film, I just kept going to myself, I can't believe that alien had the whitest eyes and just was just completely black from head to toe. So my question is, are, as an audience, have we moved on from... This isn't blackface, because it's not an actor blacking up or anything like that. But as an audience, I wonder, am I just a very small... You know, am I a very small minority looking at this and going, that's a bit strange. I don't know. I've not heard anybody else talk about this. Um, I think, on the one hand, you refer to toys being banned. Mm. Particular sort of images and iconography Mm. that's been banned. Um, And I think I know what you're talking about. And I would say that they have severely racist undertones that exist because of the conception of those of those icons and those images and those portrayals of black people this is not i suppose definitely not supposed to be not to allude to those things Uh, this is a portrayal of an of an out of space extraterrestrial (laughs) non-humanoid thing that's called just happens to be black yeah (laughs) however well however you've got me thinking now because you said that it's not an act of blacking up but it is because you've got to remember that Asteroid City the world is within the movie within the, the movie space a theatrical production and there's a guy playing the alien and we actually in one of the black and white scenes with Adrian Brody um, we're backstage from the from the uh, Asteroid City production and we actually see the alien in costume it's Jeff Goldblum playing the alien he's in his costume he's got the, the you know, headpiece off and it's, it's Jeff Goldblum. So maybe, I think this is a reach. I hope it's a reach, but I don't know. Maybe Wes Anderson is commenting on what a 50s audience would expect to see in a theatre, in a theatrical production that includes alien life forms coming to Earth. Mm. I think, I mean, you know, like, because it's obviously Asteroid City is set in the 50s, but also the actual production of Asteroid City within the story space, narrated by Brian Cranston, is happening in a 50s theatre. So perhaps, <laughs> perhaps it's spitting that the alien is portrayed slightly similar to something that would be con- would have been unfortunately considered as other in that time. Yeah. But I think, I mean, I th- I'm reaching all over the place here. Like, I, I hadn't thought of that and that did not occur to me. Yeah, I also like my opinion counts for nothing on this. Like, I want to make that, that clear. Like. Um, <laughs> so another concept that uh, 
I found quite interesting. So someone, there were a critic that was very um, critical of Wes Anderson's new installment. You know, more of the same. Can he not do anything else? Blah, blah, blah. Actually made a comment about um, Scarlett Johansson's scene uh, with Jason Schwartzman, where he takes a photo of her um, when she said, I'm going to do a nude scene. <clears throat> this, this critic said, for every naked woman, uh, there should be a naked man. We're in 2023. What um, what do you think about that? As a you know, if if there's gonna if a woman has to get naked on screen, so should a man in the same movie. What do you think? I mean, if you're inviting a conversation about uh, nudity in films and, and like sex scenes in movies, that's that's one thing. Um, but in terms of this this movie in particular, I felt like that was really out of place. Um, I said this to you after we when we came out of the cinema. I was like, that nude scene was a bit pointless it was a bit I don't really know why it was in there but then your response was why was any set piece in this movie in there and that's a very good point like it's not it does, it does not stand alone in, in the sense that that scene felt a little bit disconnected from everything else because it is a kind of just a piece of the puzzle like obviously as we've already said it's a kaleidoscopic whimsical 50s nostalgic kind of like splash of color thrown at you rather than a set narrative piece you know, story experience um, so the whole point in a Wes Anderson movie is not like is kind of the antithesis of what I go to the <laughs> to the cinema for or what I watch a movie for. However, I still really enjoy Wes Anderson, so because I like the the visual experience, mm. um, and I think there are examples of when he's managed to marry both. There's there's good narratives within the sort of all over the place world of Wes Anderson. Um, maybe we'll come to that, but I think yeah, with this one, every set piece seemed out of place and in a movie of out of place set pieces what uh, Scarlett Johansson's one nudity scene was like really stood out as out of place to me mm. it could be again another massive reach it, can, it could be a, a little nod to the only other time that I'm aware of Scarlett Johansson doing um, sci-fi in commas, which is I think it's called Beneath the, Beneath the Skin Beneath the Skin I'll look this up in a second. Um, I mentioned it in my sci-fi article. And it's the only time that, or the first, up until this point, uh, time that Scarlett Johansson did a, a nude scene. And it's really, really effective because, of course, Scarlett Johansson is something of an icon in Hollywood. And the time that she chose to do a, a scene with nudity in it is in one of the most horrific, unpleasant, uncomfortable movies I've ever seen. And Scarlett Johansson plays an, a, a villain, really, an alien that's come to Earth and is, is set in Glasgow. And she's luring men home from clubs. She's probably creepy, but she's luring, using her like looks and her appeal to lure men home and then eat them. And it's terrifying. And she's not human when she takes her clothes off. It's like you get even though she is an appearance, you get this very reptilian and, and extraterrestrial vibe from it. And it's uncomfortable. Um, so I don't know whether I mean, as I say, as a, a massive reach, is this a nod to the only other time that Scarlett Johansson's sort of done sci-fi and probably not as I, I i make a mental connection but i don't think it's that yeah <clears throat> but i think the space is there for i i think that space is being created for for you know viewer in in the fact that a lot of these actors you know you, you mentioned with steve carell you felt like he was doing <clears throat> the office yeah, I mean, and, and, and I feel like there's, there's though, those yeah. niche, <laughs> there's those niche nods probably for you know for anyone that's a specific fan of an actor to their previous work. 
Yeah, and I think Scarlett Johansson is a particularly good example of that. Um, although I've just looked the movie up, it's called um, Under the Skin, not Beneath the Skin. I think my reference to Under the Skin might uh, not be all that accurate, but I do think Wes Anderson does quite a good job of kind of, well, I guess casting in a way, because Scarlett Johansson in this movie is playing a, a super famous Hollywood actor, <laughs> which is an interesting choice. And of course, it's in the 50s. She's sort of styled on Marilyn Monroe yeah. a little bit. So I think this, I don't know. It's, it's And of course, Margot Robbie, who's the other actor in Hollywood at the moment that's kind of on, on par with Scarlett Johansson in that sense, features in this movie as well, playing an actress. So I think he does do quite a, jo- a good job of using actors who are actually in a specific cultural space to, to well, to fill a role. Um, I guess this movie sort of has further solidified um, both Scarlett Johansson and Margot, Margot Robbie's position as the modern kind of Marilyn Monroe figures. Since you mentioned um, Marilyn Monroe, it reminded me um, the, the the scenes of you know Scarlett Johansson in the bath in the bathroom. Um, there's actually some quite iconic imagery of of Marilyn Monroe, you know, in a bathtub, um, and it's another example of Wes Anderson playing homage to that era. Yeah, even further, I've just remembered that the whole or- Augie's character um, or Augie meeting his wife for the first time, who's of course passed away in the world of Asteroid City. He talks about seeing her on the balcony for the first time, smoking a cigarette, reading a novel, a uh, paperback in the bath. And you see that Polaroid on a couple of occasions. And even that is remin- well, that's very reminiscent of the Marilyn Monroe bath images. Mm. And I'm pretty sure I'm pre- that's Mar- Margot Robbie as well, actually, isn't it? Yeah. Maybe that's even... <laughs> there's another connection there to um, Big Short with the Margot Robbie bubble bath scene explaining the bonds... In housing, in the, like the housing market, from a bubble bath with a glass of champagne. <laughs> Again, I'm reaching it. Like, there's obviously I don't know whether they're intentional or not. The, I mean, there's all so many. The yeah, 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 it's got to be. There must be something I, in it. I definitely think I'm reading too much into this, but it's just what these like set pieces are reminding me of. Did it, Did any of the? I've got kind of two questions here. So. Do you need to be a good actor to be in a Wes Anderson movie? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah? Absolutely, yeah. Because at times, because you, because everything's delivered so deadpan, is that really hard, you know, is that really hard to do? I think so, yeah. I reckon that's or, a, really, like, really, a really specific niche part of acting that's like really difficult. Interesting, because you look at it and you go, it's just said that line with no inflection of emotion or anything like that. <laughs> But there is such a respectable cast that obviously, you know, being around the block a lot, being in loads of high quality movies, and then to come and do like, it must be, it must be so easy for them though, for this, you know, this cast. I mean, yeah, it's, the cast is ridiculous, like, it's so high profile, I'm not even going to start listing names, but there's like 10, 15, maybe even 20, like, big, big names in this movie. like very recognisable people but I think you have to be such a malleable actor to be in a Wes Anderson movie and to make a Wes Anderson scene Wes Anderson I think you got I mean I, I don't know obviously like I've never been an actor and I've certainly never been on a Wes Anderson set but I imagine you got to put yourself in his hands so much because his vision and his his scenes and like the, sort of the framing of everything is so specific yeah. it is that doll's house thing where it's like you know it's just the cut out of a the intersection of a of a 
you know mansion or whatever and it's and the camera's moving between rooms you know you get the same angle on everything it's brilliant it's genius it lends itself really well to comedy i think yeah um so there's a lot of really funny moments in, in all of his movies and there was in this too whether it lends itself to good storytelling i would say it does however <laughs> i don't know whether the storytelling was it was what came through in asteroid city perhaps that's not the intention and this comes back to my question at the beginning is there any anything beneath the aesthetic is there any depth or anything actually explored in this and if so to what extent were there any of the younger actors that you found particularly good as if the you know the the more adult actors need to be you know top tier it must be quite difficult for the younger ones to be as good as they were and there wasn't really a bad performance at all was there I mean a scene that really stood out to me as impressive was um, the the classroom scenes with Maya Hawke teaching the uh, the class of kids and they're all interrupting her and they're all obviously wanting to ask questions about the alien um, and I thought that was that was a really cool scene because all three child actors in that smashed it <laughs> I can't, I've, I've got the names somewhere on IMDb but um, I mean yeah that was so funny the kid with the dance in the song Dwight yeah, it's white. Um, he was smoking earlier on with some of the other guys. <laughs> and also, um, Oggy's three daughters as well. Kind of another reach. Nod to the three witches in Macbeth. Um, yeah, they all killed it. So they're yeah. all siblings in real life as well. Mad. That's really cool. So, I was thinking about um, if people haven't seen other Wes Anderson films, because you can often see a film by a director and never think about them again but this guy is so unique that I think it's appropriate to talk about a couple of other films that we've seen where you almost I feel like now I could you could not tell me who the director was and I'd know it's Wes Anderson of course yeah he's so like let's recommend a the most distinctive style yeah. in cinema um, so what have you got well, right, the problem with with Anderson, as I've already touched on, is that he sacrifices a focus on story for spectacle. Uh, not spectacle in terms of, you know, like size or scale or anything like that, just, just in terms of sort of like the whole finely crafted imagery of every, and, and stylistic approach to every, every single scene, every single shot. As we say, he's like the most distinctive director one of the most distinctive directors sort of ever <laughs> um, however sometimes that sacrifice of story is frustrating to me you sort of mentioned frustration at the beginning uh, of this conversation and I think I, I think you're right I think sometimes it it pushes your patience a little bit because I mean like Asteroid City even yesterday I sort of was sitting watching thinking sometimes thinking what was this all for what's this about um, like sort of two hours into a runtime of what two hours ten minutes or something <laughs> like sometimes you're a bit like okay I've had enough Wes Anderson for a while I'm not <laughs> locked into the story I'm just watching things happen um, the French Dispatch is an example of that for me maybe Darjeeling as well, the Darjeeling Limited. Um, 
both kind of yeah pushed me past my my limit of what I can tolerate with a movie that's got little story um, even though I'm enjoying the images presented I haven't seen The Isle of Dogs I hear it's good I don't know everything's obviously like within Fantastic Be- uh, Mr. Fox and um, I suddenly said Fantastic Beasts there. Fantastic Mr. Fox and The Isle of the Dogs are both stop motion and I think it's cool that even in his um, live action movies there's an element of stop motion you kind of feel like the actors are being moved around against their will sometimes also for me the highlight of um, Wes Anderson's career so far has been the Grand Bud- Budapest Hotel because that really married his style to a cool story as well like you're genuinely invested in the plight of the characters in that movie um, the story is brilliant it's really consistently funny and Ralph finds his uh, performance in that I mean it's just unbelievable like he's one of the most memorable likeable hateable hilarious characters that, that I can remember really um, so yeah I think I think like that was sort of the pinnacle of Wes Anderson for me now when I go and see a movie I'm sort of that's the one I'm holding when I see a Wes Anderson movie I mean that's the one I'm sort of holding it against so Asteroid City I guess I didn't really quite live up to that but I think any sort of you know, journey in uh, the world of Wes Anderson is is worth it, really, because it is fun. So, I um, really like Fantastic Mr. Fox. So that was two thousand and nine, and yeah, that stop motion. The story's written for him in Fantastic Mr. Fox. It's a Roald Dahl um, children's book from the nineteen seventies. So he almost didn't need to think about that. And again, the the way it's done you know his style it's a really entertaining film and I really enjoyed the alternative way of telling a children's story you know you've got your, your countless Disney films that almost are told in exactly the same way this was you know completely different maybe a little bit more dark and sinister but you know really delivered I do think that there's definitely a love and hate thing with Wes Anderson though yeah. I think if you can't tolerate one of these films you maybe really can't tolerate any of them um, but yeah that's Fantastic Mr Fox is definitely another one I recommend and from the trailer I think I will definitely check out Isle of Dogs I think it looks pretty interesting yeah me too I was, yeah we were saying that earlier weren't we like that's one I'm quite looking forward to going back and watching um, I think you're right about the sort of love hate thing with Wes Anderson he definitely as we've already touched on he's definitely got uh an air of pretentiousness about him and he's the kind of guy that you're either you're a film student and you absolutely love him and you want to recreate his theatrical approach to whatever your project is or you're like a slightly more I hesitate to use the word but mainstream audience that would sit through what we watched yesterday Ashford City and think what the hell was that about <laughs> like kind of quaint funny a little bit endearing but forgettable mm. um it's, it's, a, it's a fine line to walk because I mean obviously I've just sat here for 20 minutes and praised Wes Anderson really and I may come across as really pretentious in doing that um, that's not I hope that's not you know like the effect um, but I can see him I can see the argument that maybe he isolates a section of, of his audience mm. he's sort of uh, at the forefront of keeping unique 
approaches to theatre. Uh, sorry, to cinema really, and a and a theatre vibe in his. cinema. he's a classic director in that sense. Um, so I suppose you know that kind of keeping traditional Hollywood alive. That is a polarizing thing to do, mm. um, and you're either sort of pretentious for liking him or unintelligent for not. Uh, you know, I think I think that can be quite a fun. I, I don't like either perspective really. All of that said, another reach coming up here. <laughs> I'm suspicious that he knows that now, because there were two nods in this movie, major nods, to up to movies that are upcoming, not by him. One is Oppenheimer. The whole town is shaken by atom bomb tests all the time, and there's there's like the you know the the nuclear explosion cloud on the horizon, like two or three times throughout this film which obviously makes you as an audience or anyone that's aware of cinema in the slightest think of Chris Nolan's like movie coming out soon meanwhile the dollhouse effects the colour palette I know this applies to all of his movies but this one in particular I think the setting the cacti <laughs> the, all that kind of thing the, the, the dollhouse diner are a little bit reminiscent of Barbie which is of course coming out the same day so I don't know whether, I mean, I'm not really sure what point I'm trying to make here, but I definitely think as an audience, if you're not sold on Wes Anderson or you're not being sold on Asteroid City and you're sitting there watching this and there's all these nods to movies that you're probably looking forward to more, surely that's going to push you away further. You know, as you were saying it, it, it was all coming clear. Mm-hmm. You know, it was all, as soon as you said, you know, Atomic Bomb, Oppenheimer, you know, I've, I felt like I knew what was coming next. I wonder if, He's in on it in a way, because. <laughs> so the argument against this, and and I did see this was, this was actually filmed during lockdown, and they all lived on set together, so it was all kind of filmed at one time. It was filmed a few years ago, but I mean, let's not be naive. Barbie and Oppenheimer would have been in production at the same time. Yeah. Um, and that almost now I think of air, I think of the spider the, the advertising. Of, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, 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 the advertising that comes. Yeah, I mean we're into the realms of conspiracy theories here. Like, and obviously that's what my last article was about. Um, and I don't want to become a conspiracy theorist because by writing about it and talking about it all the time. But I, I see a point. Yeah, do you think that they're all? referencing each other's movies in very, very subtle ways, and it's all a marketing ploy. I want to say that that's not true. I don't think that is true, but why wouldn't you, as a director, as someone in the film industry, create, continuously create that buzz about people going to watch movies? You would do that. Yeah, because, I mean, but equally, why would you draw attention to your supposed competitors? That's a really cynical. I mean, this is the world of art, so I'd I'd like to. I don't want to say that, or put in people's mind that directors are competing with each other because it certainly shouldn't be. That would be the marketing perspective, not the artist's perspective. Mm. Well, there's there's that Netflix effect, though, isn't it? That we've talked to a few times where you watch a series like Succession, and then three or four different similar shows on every other platform will come out because you you still want that fix of boardroom drama or you know so look look what we've got now 
seemingly by accident three films within two months that in, almost interrelate. I mean, Asteroid City now pr- provides a link between the three that mm. wouldn't have been, you know, the, you know, Barbie and Oppenheimer are two completely, you know, opposite ends of the scale movies, and somehow Asteroid City is married them. <laughs> married. By, I mean, they're already they're already together. connected by their shared release date. So they're already, in, I mean, and I definitely think that's a strategic move on behalf of, on the part of Hollywood, because obviously, like, you're, you're pitching them against each other, you're pitting them against each other to encourage competition, to encourage people to go and see their preferred one or whatever, and obviously end up watching both. Yeah, and and I think we, the thing is, though, I don't think we've had that kind of feel around theatre for a, a while, like, a good few years. I feel like right now, the amount of ad- advertising Barbie and Oppenheimer are getting, like, separately is massive, like, really big. And, and the fact that they're on at the same time, it's like, you, it's almost like, you can't watch one, you have to watch both. Yeah. That's what I feel like's going on right now. And, yeah. and all right, I didn't notice it, but I'm now thinking of the atomic bombs that, you know, the, the atomic bomb went off three times in, in um, Asteroid City. And I actually was thinking of it as Nuketown from Call of Duty, <laughs> almost. <laughs> but, but like, yeah, you know, of course you were. <laughs> the, the, you you raise a really good point, and I would, from the cynical, as you know, I would be cynical and say, as a director in Hollywood, why wouldn't you just continuously create that buzz? Yeah. This is a tangent, but it's funny how similar it is to the music industry. I think we regularly see uh, two artists dropping an album on the same day, and you think, "Come on, like there's enough days to go around." Like, and it's obvious that it's it's supposed to create that buzz. Um, taking that further, I think going back to the point I was making a little bit a while ago about um, the sort of the pretentiousness versus inaccessibility of Wes Anderson, I think that applies to music as well. Um, you sort of, you regularly have artists that are trying to marry political agenda or social commentary with accessible, listenable music. Um, so I, I do think that the more that we do this, the more that we write and talk about um, Hollywood and cinema at the moment, the more similarities I'm seeing between the marketing minds behind the music industry and the, the, film, the film and TV industry. Entertainment generally. We're starting to become conspiracy theorists, aren't we? <laughs>